Welcome to Medically Assisted CBD with Charlie Pimarini. Hi guys, and welcome back to Medically Assisted CBD with Charlie Pimarini. Um, our goal this year has been to try and at least produce one podcast a month to continue to bring content and value to the community. Um, and as many of you know, or you may not know, I'm a practicing physician assistant. Um, so I try and come at this from a medical standpoint in order to educate you on how it really works, how it works in the body, how it interacts with medications that you may be taking. And I think it's important to realize that this is these supplements that you take, not just CBD, but anything that you get uh, supplement-wise from a vitamin store does have potential interactions with medication. So it's always best to check with uh, one of your medical professionals. So today is sleep and CBD. Uh, sleep, we spend what, almost a third of our life sleeping. Um, a lot of people don't sleep well. Um, and I think it's become very apparent over the last couple of years that sleep quality, not just sleep length, but quality is becoming so much more important and so much more relatable to uh, different types of diseases and especially chronic disease, hypertension, diabetes, uh, you know, stress, a lot of reasons why we don't sleep. Um, we ha- we live the typical American lifestyle, right? We we wake up, we go to work, and we work all day. We use stimulants to keep us up. And then when we come home, we're eating junk food, sitting down in front of the couch and watching TV and not exercising. And so it's very tough for us to get into a good sleep routine. So a lot of times I talk with my patients about sleep hygiene. Um, and that's something we'll go over a little bit later today in the lecture. But so let's first define what sleep is and go a little bit about sleep. I'm not a sleep board trained sleep physician, but uh, can give you a little bit of a background, and then we talk about how CBD can help with your sleep. So what is sleep? So the anatomy of sleep. So when sleep starts, it starts, we have five parts of our brain that really uh, help to control our sleep. The first one is the hypothalamus. It's This is considered our sleep center. It's in the middle of your brain, um, and it receives signals about light exposure and controls behavior related to light and dark. When it's light outside, you're up and you're doing stuff, and when it's dark, you want to go to bed. That's controlled by the hypothalamus. That's just a portion of your brain, hypo meaning below, um, and it's below your thalamus. So the brainstem. The brainstem releases neurotransmitters to promote rest to the hypothalamus and to relax muscles. So the, the brainstem is going to sense the nighttime, and it's going to release neurotransmitters that go back to your hypothalamus to tell your body that, you know what, it's time to go to sleep. We need to relax. The thalamus is kind of our central uh, – I've heard it described as like the central station, uh, everything, all this, uh, neurons, all of our stimuli come in there and then the thalamus kind of disseminates these signals. So the best example is the shirt on your back. Uh, you obviously don't realize you're wearing a shirt until now. I just made you realize that, but these sensations, um, from your skin go to your thalamus, but your thalamus decides that, you know what, that's not really relevant to what we need to do right now. Uh, you know, we're not going to, alert the body that this is something that we're feeling immediately. And so you don't feel it until your attention's brought to it. Now the thalamus does the same thing at, um, for sleep. So when you're ready to sleep, it relays external senses, right? So darkness, sunset, um, a lot of things that are related to sleep hygiene, having a cool room, things that prime your body to get ready for sleep. Um, and so it shuts off during 
in the beginning of sleep because you don't want it to be sensing all these things going on. Is your partner next to you wrestle, you know, rustling around? Is there a dog, dog barking? You know, is there an airplane flying overhead? Um, but in the beginning of sleep, it shuts off, but during REM sleep, it's actually active. And that's why uh, we'll get into it. And that's why a lot of times during the dream state, you're able to sense things and the dream seems so real. Um, the next is the penile gland. A lot of people know about this one. It's kind of, sometimes I've heard it referred to as a third eye, uh, directly in the back of, uh, between your eyes in your brain. And this is the one that's really important. It releases melatonin. Melatonin is a hormone. Uh, we're finding it's actually not just for sleep. It actually has potent anti-inflammatory effects. A lot of people take melatonin supplements to help them sleep. And this is all part of the sleep pathway. The melatonin is released and it tells your body, it cues yourself that it's, Hey, it's time to go to bed. It's time to sleep. Um, and anyone that's taken a melatonin supplement understands that when you take that, you do feel sleepy and sometimes groggy in the morning. The next is the amygdala. Um, the amygdala is a part of our brain that is responsible for emotions. This is most active during uh, REM sleep when we're having dreams. Uh, you may have had a dream of a past loved one or a dream of something you did, you know, 10, 15 years ago, and you can feel those emotions attached with seeing a deceased loved one or you know, seeing a friend that you haven't seen in many years. This is because that part of your brain that is storing these memories actually becomes active during our REM sleep. And it's all part of memory, what they call memory consolidation. So taking thoughts and actions that you've did throughout the day and consolidating this into uh, memory inside the hippocampus. And uh, research has shown that a memory that has been associated with a uh, emotion, good or bad, does get primed and has a little bit easier time of being stored and recalled. Um, and that kind of plays into uh, PTSD too. So what is the sleep mechanism? So there's two mechanisms for sleep. The number one thing a lot of people know is the circadian rhythm, right? It's our biological clock. This takes external cues, light, time of day, temperature, and directs the function of sleep and wakefulness, okay? Uh, it tells our body that, you know what, it's becoming dark. It's going to, let's lower our, our core temperature. Uh, let's start to decrease our heart rate. You know, it's time to get rest and re ready to relax and get to bed. A lot of people's uh, biological clock and circadian rhythm is gets thrown off. You know, when you have jet lag, that's part of jet lag. You go from one coast to another, you change multiple time zones. Now your body is, you know, it may be nighttime where you're, where you just flew to, but in your clock where you, you are from, it's, you know, still afternoon. So sometimes your body is not able to take these cues externally and then put it together internally because it's, it's very confused about what's going on. Uh, the next is the sleep-wake homeostasis. So this, is, this tracks our need for sleep. This reminds us to sleep. Um, it regulates sleep intensity. And so what happens is the intensity of our sleep increases with every hour we're awake and causes us to sleep more and deeper every hour that you're awake. Makes sense. You know, you try and pull an all-nighter from studying or your kids are waking up in the middle of the night. You're missing out on sleep. So your body tries to compensate by creating more and deeper sleeping mechanisms to get us that restful sleep. Um, you know, it's only been within recent that we've realized that sleep isn't just, we don't need it just to, you know, consolidate memory. If you don't, there's only... Uh, you know, a couple published studies about how long you can go without sleep. You can go a few days without sleep until you will have, you'll become delirious. Um, they've done studies about residents in medical school uh, that have pulled a 12, 20, you know, 24 hour shift and they've tested the reaction time and their memory. They're basically impaired. It's basically the same amount of impairment, memory, um, 
reflex-wise and functionality as if you've had a few drinks. So it's very dangerous, uh, and people know that. You know, if you've never if you've suffered from any sleep disturbances, you understand how frustrating it can be. So, what are the stages of sleep? How how does this work? Because we just don't fall asleep and stay asleep. So our body goes through three stages of sleep, and the two main types of sleep are REM and non-REM. Um, everyone's familiar with REM, and we'll get into that. But what is the non-REM? So stage one is uh, the changeover from wakefulness to sleep. It takes several minutes and it takes, um, that's kind of the period of time when, you know, you're starting to fall asleep and you start to feel a little bit relaxed and you're starting to get into that deep zone of, you know, I'm starting to fall asleep, but you really aren't asleep and you still can be awoken very easily. Your heart rate is decreased. Your breathing is decreased. It takes several minutes. Our muscles relax and you have those occasional muscle twitches. Those muscle twitches are your parasympathetic taking over and your sympathetic system going um, going on sleep and you're losing the connectivity between your brain and your muscles so you're not jerking as much when you're sleeping. So the next stage is the stage two. Um, this is where you start having some of those myoclonic jerks when you start jerking in your sleep and you feel like you're kicking or you may feel like you're falling. That's our body detaching itself from the muscles and getting our body primed and ready to go to sleep. Uh, and that's stage two. Uh, stage three is considered deep sleep. Um, this is when you're difficult to arouse. And this is where um, you spend a lot of time here in the beginning of your sleep. And then as you go throughout the night, you spend less and less time uh, in stage three. But stage three is the deep sleep. And what people don't realize is when we sleep, we're going through uh, kind of a sub-awakeness at stage one. We go to stage two, go to stage three, go to REM and go up and down. You're going from stage one to stage four and you peak and valley in between both all of these stages throughout the night. So you're not just staying in one stage. You're going through all these stages multiple times. Um, and that's what gets you the most restful sleep is when you're is when you're going through the – you're cycling through these sleep stages. And that's what the problem with uh, sleep medications like Ambien, um, they get you into a deep sleep but you're not into a restful sleep because you're not going through these sleep cycles as you need to be going through. Now, the next one is REM sleep. Everyone's familiar with that. It's about an hour and a half after we fall asleep. This is where we have our dreams. This is rapid eye movement. This is where our heart rate and breathing are closer to the wakefulness pattern. So you actually are kind of close to becoming awake in these in these in this REM sleep. Your amygdala is active, right? Your memory system is active. Your emotions are active. You're uh, kind of sense you're able to sense some stimulus, and this is what's creating some of these vivid dreams that people have. You're able to sometimes to taste, to smell, um, to feel from this dream. You're like, man, I just had this dream about so and so, and it felt so real. That's because your brain is telling you that with these emotional centers and these uh, tactile tactile centers that this did this did feel real. Um, and this is when the brain activity is closest to wakefulness. Uh, heart rate and breathing are slightly increased, and this is where we're dreaming. And memory consolidation most likely requires both REM and non-REM. So that's why a lot of people that take sleep medications sometimes have memory issues and they've linked long-term use of um, Ambien to Alzheimer's and memory issues because you aren't your brain's not getting this restful sleep. And during sleep, not only we consolidate memories and we're resting, but our body's using this time for our brain's using this time uh, to clear basically the garbage that's produced throughout the day by different uh, enzymatic reactions. These are glial cells that are kind of the garbage disposals of 
the uh, immune system. There are, there are specific immune systems specifically for the central nervous system, and they go around scavenging and cleaning everything up. And this is the time that they're most active during sleep. So how does the endocannabinoid system um, kind of relate to sleep and how does it activate your sleep? So one of the biggest things is it activates the parasympathetic and deactivates the sympathetic, right? We've talked about parasympathetic is rest and digest. Uh, sympathetic is your fight or flight. You're getting ready to work out. You're getting ready to run. You're getting ready to um, run from a tiger. So when we when we go to rest, the endocannabinoid system is a big player in activating our parasympathetic and getting us into that restful state, decreasing heart rate, decreasing breathing, decreasing our core temperature, getting your body primed and ready to fall asleep. Um, and so it modulates also through uh, wakefulness. They did an experiment where they injected patients, uh, rats actually, excuse me, they injected rats with CB1 antagonists and agonists. So what that means is they injected rats with molecules that specifically either bind and activate the CB1 receptor in your brain or bind and block any activity from the CB1 receptor. And what they found was there was an increased wake time with people that had a, with the mice that had a blocked CB1 receptor. And then there was an increased uh, REM and sleep time with the molecules that would actually bind and activate the CB1 receptor. So showing that when the CB1, CB1 receptor is activated, um, it increases your sleeping and um, gets you into REM sleep. And this, so this is kind of reminiscent of why people take CBD or use marijuana at bedtime. This helps our body kind of get into that rest and digest stage. Um, and as we age, um, there is a decrease. They are finding that there's a decrease in our own natural endocannabinoids, right? We produce two molecules that are very reminiscent of THC and CBD. They're 2-AG um, and anatomide. And 2-AG is reminiscent of the CBD molecule. And as we age, we actually produce less of this molecule. So our bodies, so it's not just, you know, your grandparents just don't sleep. They're not sleeping well as we age. Um, and so which requires sometimes a little bit more sleeping throughout the day to catch, to catch up on your sleep. That's why a lot of times there's a lot of napping. Um, and with age, you have less REM sleep. So how does CBD and sleep work? So CBD, um, uh, increases parasympathetic activation. It increases our endogenous or our natural endocannabinoids. It allows them to work longer. It allows them to stay at the synapses longer and bind to the CB1R receptor longer. And, um, not only so it's not only working specifically on the receptors, but it's also working in our nervous system to get us into restful state. Um, and a lot of people that have sleep issues do suffer from anxiety. So that's all part of the sympathetic and neuro and um, parasympathetic activation. So CBD is decreasing sympathetic sympathetic activation and increasing parasympathetic activation. Um, so published trials, there are a few. They're about small to medium sized observational studies. Um, that showed the use of cannabis for sleep um, does show some positive effects on sleep. And this was a Cochrane review. Um, if you're not familiar with what a Cochrane review is, a, uh, it's the review of all reviews. Basically, they take multiple reviews throughout um, a specific subset of research, and they put it through high levels of analytics, and it becomes a Cochrane review, and they review reviews. They review studies, they review reviews, and this spits out very uh, accurate data to tell us, well, is there some correlation between whatever we're studying? And they do show that it does show some positive effects for sleep. 
but it does call for more larger, more clinical studies. And I think some of those will start to be coming uh, down the pipeline soon as CBD and marijuana become more and more uh, deregulated at the federal level. Um, and just the mechanism of how CBD works, it does help with PTSD and can help with sleep, uh, REM sleep behavior. Um, a lot of people that have PTSD, they're replaying these memories in their brain. Their brain is going back to these issues. Now, just the mechanism of how CBD works, it decreases activity of neurons, right? That's how it's decreasing seizure activity. That's how it's decreasing anxiety. So CBD can help decrease your replaying of memories, decrease that emotional attachment to this memory of whatever had happened to you and kind of help you get out of that PTSD cycle and get you into restful sleep. But uh, the papers do call for, you know, more... Uh, clinical trials, larger clinical trials, but it it does show promise, um, and it, it and there is a you know a mechanism for it to show that it's working. So it's just going to take some time, like everything in the CBD and cannabis industry. But uh, we're we're well on our way. There, uh, before I forget to mention, there is a cannabinoid that a lot of that's gaining a lot of attention. It's called CBN, uh, and CBN is not actually naturally made by the cannabis plant. It's actually a degradation of THC when THC or THCA is sitting around in the plant, it degrades, it oxidizes to CBN. And CBN has been found to be almost five times more sedating than THC. Um, and so a lot of supplements and a lot more researchers coming out about CBN, but a lot of sleep supplements are starting to kind of include CBN in their supplements for sleep time. Um, so the last thing I like to talk about is sleep hygiene. Um, a lot of my patients come in and they're really just stressed, right? Sleep is sometimes a difficult thing. It's not just, it's an active process. You don't just close your eyes and you go to sleep. It's not just the absence of wakefulness. It's actually deactivating other parts of your, of your nervous system. So what I tell patients through, through sleep hygiene is the bedroom is for the two S's, is sleep and sex. You shouldn't have a TV in there. There should be no iPads, no iPhones. I'm guilty of it. I think most Americans are guilty of it, that you have your phone in your bed when you're trying to go to sleep. But that blue light decreases the melatonin response, keeps your body active. Your brain senses that as it's time to be awake because it's a bright blue light. So I tell patients sometimes to change the light bulbs at your nightstand to an orange hue of a light bulb that can help with representing more of a sunset and getting your body yet again primed for sleep. Um, soothing background noise, a lot of patients use a fan or a sound app, a dark room that goes without being explained. And no blue light or light 45 minutes prior to bed. That's a big point. Um, and I think it's becoming more popular with the blue blocker, blue light blockers that a lot of people are wearing. Um, and getting your body, getting your room into a cool temperature, anyone that's pulled any extended periods of time, you know, from a work shift or through studying, you realize that around two to three in the morning, you just start to get really cold. Um, that's your body dropping its core temperature. And that's part of the sleep cycle. So you can assist in this by keeping the room nice and cool. Um, another thing is uh, meditation. Meditation anywhere from five to 10 minutes before bedtime um, can really help activate the vagus nerve, which helps activate parasympathetic activity and decrease sympathetic activity, yet again, priming our body. Um, and the vagus nerve is the biggest nerve in our body. So if we can get this nerve to be activated with sleeping, uh, with meditation, that really helps with your sleep. And there's a lot of studies that have been done around the four, seven, eight breathing, breathing in for four seconds holding in for seven and breathing out for eight, uh, doing a few rounds of that can really help bring you into a um, relaxation mode. So sometimes people ask me about supplements for sleep. Um, 
always check with your, you know, your medical providers to know if there's any interactions with any of your supplements. But um, GABA or 5-HTP, GABA is an inhibitory um, molecule in your brain, a neurotransmitter, so it decreases uh, neurotransmission. So a lot of sleep sleep uh, supplements have this. 5-HTP is a precursor to serotonin production. Um, so that's sometimes that's part of the melatonin pathway. Um, so melatonin is a good supplement. B6, B9, B12. Uh, B6 is uh, pyroxidine. That's part. That's a cofactor um, in production of melatonin from going from tryptophan to melatonin. Um, that's why when you eat the turkey dinner, you may realize you feel a little sleepy. It's because tryptophan is in high levels in turkey and it gets converted to melatonin, but it needs B6 to help with that. Uh, the B activated B9 and B12 is part of the SAM-E pathway, which is methylation, and that helps with activating um, different neuroenzymes in our body to help us sleep. Uh, magnesium zinc are part of coenzymes that are also help with sleep uh, 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 melatonin production. And a big thing that's becoming you know a little bit more popular, lavender essential oils or teas, um, chamomile. These things just, again, prime our body uh, to decrease activation. But lavender essential oils like terpenes that are found in cannabis or uh, hemp ha- are gaining a lot of popularity. There's a lot of these terpenes are uh, aromatic. This is what you smell when you when you uh, use cannabis or hemp, but it's also able to cross the blood-brain barrier and actually binds to receptors in your brain and induces um, can can induce sleep, can induce you know you feeling stimulated like pinene and pine saw. Um, sometimes you feel you know you feel stimulated with these type of uh, terpenes, um, but there's other ones that help with uh, decreasing your uh, alertness and getting you into a sl- good sleep cycle. So. Uh, to recap, how does CBD help us sleep? It not only does it bind certain receptors in our brain, activating our sleep, but it also decreases our sympathetic activation and getting us into a relaxing sleep mode. So before you take any supplements, I always caution patients um, to check with your medical providers and see if these have potential interactions with anything that you are currently taking. Um, but if you are um, able to take CBD, I definitely do recommend you know checking lab results, lab reports, and getting a good quality product. Um, and with that, that is all for today. And thank you for joining us to learn about CBD and sleep.